Welcome to Grace Bible Church. We're thankful to be able to be together. And Lord willing, we look forward next Sunday to be together, to gather in the same place and to sing and to celebrate God's goodness and to fellowship once again. We know that not everyone will be able to join us, so we'll continue our online presence. But there is an excitement as we've missed meeting together. I personally am thankful uh, that we have this opportunity uh, next week, and it'll be good to have you here with me. So we give God thanks for your patience and for reaching out to one another and for loving one another uh, during this time. We're going to continue our series in the book of Acts, and today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47, which is the response to Peter's sermon. We looked at that last week, and today we want to watch as Peter um, welcomes sinners into the presence of God. So let me read Acts 2, beginning at verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property, and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray before we study God's word together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather. Thank you for the anticipation of being able to gather again next week. Lord, you have kept us. You have matured us. You have grown us. You have loved us, even during difficult times. So for those who are listening, Lord, as we gather around your word, we give you thanks not only for this opportunity to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to be praying together, but Lord, willing to reach out in fellowship, to be Christ-centered, to know your presence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If we were to summarize the message last week that we looked at, Peter's first message, we could say it is a gospel message. Peter preached the good news of salvation for helpless enemies of the cross who need to be rescued. Peter preached the good news of salvation for helpless enemies of the cross who needed to be rescued. We divided the sermon up into four parts. We saw the promised coming Holy Spirit. We saw the work of God. 
We saw the work of Jesus, and then we saw how we responded uh, to, to the gospel message, to the work of the triune God. If I were to try to explain that message again, we could divide it up into three parts that leads us into our passage today. First of all, Peter preached the good news. Peter preached the, the good news that Jesus, that all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. Peter preached the good news that God delivered, or according to God's plan, God's determined plan, uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. This did not just happen, but God sent his son according to his determined plan and according to his foreknowledge. We read the good news of uh, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He was not abandoned to the grave. His flesh did not experience decay. And then from Psalm 16, we also read uh, the joy that is felt in the presence of God. But then finally, uh, we read of the coming of the Holy Spirit sent by God the Father and God the Son, the Spirit that fills us with the good news, the good news of salvation, the good news of hope. So Peter preached a message of good news, but mixed in is the message of bad news, including walking in disobedience. We naturally walk in disobedience, and the result is the deserving pains of death and decaying bodies. The ultimate judgment is death and punishment before God. We read of this at the end when people are becoming convicted of their sin. Peter actually quotes from uh, Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is King David speaking about a greater king who is coming, and he will reign over his people, but part of his reigning is he will judge his enemies. So we read in verse 34 and 35 of Acts chapter 2, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Peter is preaching that we are enemies of God. And if you actually go back to Psalm 110, you will read in verses 5 and 6, the Lord is at your right hand. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. We are under the judgment of God. That is the difficult news. That is the devastating news. We struggle with this bad news. We want to say everything's okay. Everything's good with us. We try to manipulate scripture so that we can live as we please instead of coming under the lordship of Christ. Or we just reject Jesus outright and say he is not the Messiah. He is not the promised one. I am the promised one. Or we're looking for some other promised one. Peter's message had good news. Peter's message had bad news. And where we end up in verse 37 at the beginning of our text is, is there good news in the bad news? Which one wins? Bad news or good news? Specifically, is there good news for you? If you have rejected Jesus, if you have not followed Jesus as Lord, is there good news for you? Or is it all bad news? We also understand that this lockdown time, this, this time when we have not been able to gather has been difficult. And we know that some have really struggled and, and are questioning their faith, the assurance of faith. And that is this question that they're asking. They're asking, is there still good news for me? I haven't done very well in this lockdown. There's things I, I'm ashamed of. There's, there's places I've gone or 
I, I, I question God's goodness in all of this, and I wonder where God is. And we lack assurance of faith. And so when we come and we listen to this good news, and then we also hear the bad news, we ask the question, is there good news still? And that's what we want to take a look at uh, today as we study God's word together. Is there good news for you today? Whether you have rejected Christ and do not consider yourself a believer, or whether you battle with assurance and say, I don't know if God's love is still with me. I don't know if God, God's love is still on me. I'm discouraged and I struggle with assurance. So we're first of all going to take a look at the gospel response. The gospel response and then the gospel impact. How do we respond to the gospel? And that's asking the question that they asked in verse 37, brothers, what should we do? What should we do? They were convicted. They were cut to the heart. Their conscience bothered them. They knew that they were not right with God. What should we do? How do we receive this good news? How do we know that we're welcomed? And Peter says two things. He says two things that we just want to talk about for a moment. How do you, how are, how do you know that you are loved? How do you receive the good news of the Holy Spirit? of the work of Jesus Christ. And Peter, the first thing that Peter says is, he replied, repent, repent. Repentance is very interesting because it is basically saying, God, we absolutely need you. Repentance is not often what we do, and that is saying, God, when we're convicted of our sin or when we know that things are not right, it's what we do. Repentance is the exact opposite. It's not what we can do, but repentance is confessing what we have done. It's laying it all before God. It's having an extremely honest moment. It's saying, God, I have rebelled against you. And repentance is this desire to turn in the opposite direction, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart. It is to confess our sins. It is to be an open book before God and say, God, I am, I have been your enemy. I have rejected the Messiah. I have rejected the Lord. I have sought to live according to my own way, to build my own kingdom. Lord, that is who I am. And I am convicted because I know that I stand under your wrath and under your judgment. Repentance impacts our minds. We become aware of personal sin and guilt before a holy and righteous God before whom one day we will stand. Repentance impacts our emotions. The things that gave us joy no longer give us joy, but compound our shame and our guilt. We look back, we no longer celebrate our sin, but we say, God, we lived without you. We spent the gifts that you gave us in rebellion against you. And it might not be, you know, those big things, but just those building up of those small things in that direction of your life. You experience this godly sorrow. There's remorse over your sin. There's this mourning that you have offended God when you should have been celebrating God. It affects our mind, it affects our emotions, and it also affects our desires. There is this determination, there is this sincere commitment to desire to forsake what is in the past and submit to Christ. One person has defined uh, repentance this way. He says, repentance is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. It is a denouncing it. You want to be rid of it. And then it is a sincere commitment 
uh, to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. A repentance is a help, 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 heartfelt sorrow for sin, a denouncing of it, and then a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. If we could just say it this way, we're destroyed inside. We're destroyed. And we know our sin and we seek to confess the truth. We seek to be honest instead of suppressing the truth. If that is repentance, then we might expect, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, Peter says this, repent and be baptized. Now we know in other places in scripture, repentance and faith are like two sides to one coin. You can't rip a coin apart. You can't separate repentance and faith. But I think Peter uh, celebrates baptism here because baptism is like this. It includes faith, but it is so much more than faith. Celebration is the, baptism is the celebration of the entire gospel message. It is to embrace all the good news from Peter's message and say, I am loved. I am loved. That is what baptism is. Baptism does not save but it is this confession, this statement, this proclamation, this celebration of the work of Jesus. Let's look at four um, parts of baptism or four meanings of baptism. First of all, baptism is, an, is the answer to the repentance question. If we're to repent, what is baptism? Baptism is the going towards Christ. Repentance is a 180. It's saying, I'm he- I was living towards sin. I want to turn, but where do we turn to? Baptism is that answer. We return or we turn to Christ. We follow Christ now. Baptism as believers is to build on repentance. If repentance is turning, the question is, to whom do we turn? Where do we turn? And baptism answers that question. Baptism is not just a heart direction. It it doesn't just answer the repentance question. But baptism, secondly, celebrates the whole gospel story. We read in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Each of you, just as each of us is to repent, each of us uh, who have repented are to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We remember there was good news, there was bad news. Does the good news win? The good news wins. Baptism is the celebration of the whole gospel story. It is for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what takes place in baptism. In baptism, we say, listen to my story, my story of repentance. When I go under the water, it is confessing my sin. It is confessing my just punishment was death. My just punishment was judgment, but I have been united with Christ and I have died with Christ. I deserve death and wrath. That is my story. But baptism connects my story with the story of Christ. I am united with Christ. And when Christ died, I died. When Christ rose, I rose. And now in faith, I trust the forgiveness of sins upon the repentance that I have confessed before God. And I live a new life. My story is no longer about me. My story is wrapped up in the story of Jesus. Listen to my story. But even more, listen to Christ's story. I am rescued. I am loved. I am washed clean of guilt and shame. I am cleansed. I am forgiven. I am born again by the Spirit. Once an enemy, now a child. Once dead, 
now alive, living for Christ. That's why it's such an amazing command. We can celebrate before others. We can celebrate before the world. This is my new direction. I have listened to my story and I turn from it. I have listened to Christ's story and I embrace it. Baptism is a celebration of the whole gospel story. It is taking Peter's message and saying, I celebrate that the good news wins. Third, baptism is a place of rest for believers. He goes on to say, not just for the forgiveness of sins, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We come under the Lordship of Christ, but we know the Lordship of Christ is very difficult. In fact, many who are baptized, if you listen to their story, some of the questions they have at the beginning of their journey is, will I be able to finish this journey? We read in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up his cross daily and follow me. And at the beginning of our journey, we ask, am I going to deny myself or am I going to go back to my sin? Am I going to take up the cross daily, (laughs) dying to self, living for Christ and following him? He goes on to say, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. And we question ourselves and we say, Will I be able to be a a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are so many difficulties, there's so much opposition. And we read the answer is not only do you receive Christ, but you receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit upon repentance. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And baptism is a celebration not only of the forgiveness, but the receiving of the Holy Spirit. I just want to read Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 19, that gives you a sense of the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Lord, or that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. That is what it is to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive the hope of his calling. Part of your calling is the Holy Spirit will give you hope along the journey. You have the wealth of his glorious inheritance, and you have this immeasurable greatness of his power in you that is lived out in your life. When you receive the Holy Spirit and you confess this at baptism, you confess that you will live not afraid although at times we will be afraid, but we saw in our first message from Acts with boldness in the unhindered spread of the gospel, you will live with power, energy, and strength to live out the word of God, to stand when you're tired, to love when you're tempted to hate, to be kind when you're struggling with anger, to find hope in moments of isolation, and to find a voice for Jesus to sing his praises. It doesn't mean everything's easy. In fact, it means we will go through very difficult times, but we have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we read that baptism is ultimately a gospel call. 
Listen to verse 40, with many other words he testified, and strong, sorry, verse 39, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Who is this promise for? When one is being baptized, it is a call to all to say you are welcome to the good news. You must embrace the bad news, but you must come to the good news that the good news wins. It is for you and it is for your children not just for children who are in church, not just for believers' children, for all children. The gospel is for all children. And the gospel is for all those who are far off. Every country, this is the spread of the gospel through generations within households across the world. It is an evangelical, it is an evangelical call to say, come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It answers the question of repentance. It is a celebration of the good news, the victory of Jesus Christ. We are no longer enemies, but children of God. It is to know that in this difficult journey ahead of us, we have the promised Holy Spirit. And then it is a, a word to say to all, welcome. You are welcome to Jesus Christ. I ask this question, have you been baptized? You say, well, I've repented. Have you been baptized as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Repent, be baptized. It is simply but profoundly a command of God. But it is not just a command that we go, oh, we need to do this. It is a command to celebrate. It is a command to testify. And you look back on your baptism and it is assurance that you have been saved and not only the forgiveness of sins cleansed, but you also have been set free in the power of the Holy Spirit to live boldly, unhindered in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit with his strength, with his wisdom in a very corrupt. That's why he goes on to say with many other words, be testif he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. That's what baptism does. You can be in this corrupt generation and know that you are saved. And you don't need to fear the corrupt generation. And you can have hope for your children. We fear for what our children will meet up with in the decades to come. But there's hope. And that's why as parents, you point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing testimony and say, you need to repent of your sins and you can be baptized and they will receive the Holy Spirit upon repentance. And they will know the forgiveness of their sins. And they will be assured that in this generation, this corrupt generation, Jesus Christ has saved them. The good news is theirs. And we read that up to 3,000 people were added to them. It gives us hope to continue to pray for those who are upon our hearts, communities that are upon our hearts, family members that are in our hearts, to not give up praying for them, to not give up living Christ before them, because the Lord does save. Don't be discouraged. The Lord saves. That's what we're praying for this community. That's what we're praying for the faithful churches around Canada, that God would work through ministries and God would work through daily conversations and God would work through acts of kindness to show himself and to reveal the good news. And we would tell many that Jesus welcomes them. And Jesus embraces them. 
and what Jesus has done for them and what the triune God has done for them, there is hope. And if you lack assurance, you come back and you say, Lord, I need to repent of these things. I need to go back to the basics. I need to go back to where I began. And I need to know that I am forgiven and I have the Holy Spirit and I have been baptized. And in all of that, I feel the encouragement that you love me because it is not my story, it is your story. And your story tells me I am loved by you. And if you say, well, you don't even want to hear my story because Jesus would never receive me. Jesus has heard many stories. And for all who have come to him, repented and put their faith in him, he has never turned anyone away. And he will not turn you away. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. If that is the gospel response, if that is being welcomed into the gospel family, the good news family, then what is the gospel impact? (laughs) The gospel impact is found in verses 42 through 47. We could summarize the gospel impact, the beginning of the gospel impact, with three words. The three words are the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves. What happened when their hearts changed? What happens when their lives changed? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Two things happened that changed. Two gospel impact moments changed them. First of all, we read in the first three words, they and themselves. They gathered together. Much of our faith will not be lived out individually, but in community. And I think this has been one of the greatest struggles of COVID. The church has not been able to meet. That is discouraging. That is hard. It is not our first choice. We have sought to honor God in this. And it has been difficult to not be together. But maybe for a church that has never met up with that kind of difficulty in in the generations in North America, that not being able to, to gather has reminded us of the preciousness, of the beauty, of the celebration of community. The first thing that took place after we read of the gospel response, the gospel impact is the word they. They, not I, they. And maybe this time, coming out of this time, spurs you on to be engaged in the church family, to be engaged to use your gifts for the glory and for the honor of God, because it is not I, it is they. And what did they do? They devoted themselves They devoted. You have unity or you have community, and devoted means unity. We know how difficult unity can be, right? We just just look at relationships. In fact, unity may have been difficult for you during this time of COVID. You may question your unity with the family of God. But what brings unity? What brings unity is not that we agree on everything all the time. That didn't happen in the book of Acts. What unity, unity is built on four foundational devotion moments. We might disagree on certain things, but we can agree that we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We are devoted to fellowship. We are devoted to loving even in difficult times. We are devoted to breaking of bread, to being Christ-centered. This is not my story. 
I cannot forgive in my own strength. I cannot love in my own strength. I forgive because I have been forgiven by Christ. I love because I have been loved by Christ. And we are devoted to prayer. You think of a brokenness in a marriage relationship. You think of a brokenness in family. And they try to find unity. And they say, well, where do we find unity? Apostles teaching. Fellowship. Christ-centered breaking of bread. Loving as Christ loved. Not loving because I want to love this way. And prayer. That's what brings unity. There might be differences that we have as we go through this COVID time. We can live with those differences. What brings unity? We are devoted to be together. They, themselves, community. To not give up on community. In unity. Not because we agree with everything but because we are devoted to similar things that will bring us and grow us and challenge us to love and to truth, to teaching, to prayer, to breaking of bread, and then to fellowship. So how did they enjoy unity? Well, we've just talked about they devoted themselves to practices that drew them close to God. They devoted themselves to practices that drew them close to God. What happens when they devoted themselves to practices that drew them close to God? When drawn close to God, they drew together or they drew close to one another. You see what happens when they committed, when they devoted themselves to these practices that drew them close to God, that drew them close to one another. We read this in verse 43 through 46. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. God still does these amazing works in our midst. He might do them differently, but he, he is an amazing God who is doing amazing things. And we get captivated by God. And what happens when we get captivated by a generous God? We become a generous people, but we know it comes at a cost. We read about a generous people who lived in community and it cost them. You see, we want community and we want unity not necessarily pursuing those four foundational um, moments in our life that we devote ourselves to, and we want community and we want unity without, um, without counting the cost. We've lived too long saying, what's in it for me? I like this, I don't like that. Instead of saying, how can I give? What will this cost me? How can I, how can I generously give to others of my possessions? How can I generously give of my time? So many people sitting in church pre-COVID not using their gifts for the glory of God. What's going on? There are people in need. You have gifts. Why don't we use them? You have opportunities where God has blessed you in ways that you can give to others. That's what's taking place. We get all bogged down. Well, I didn't know it. Do I need to sell all my possessions? Well, no. But if God is blessed you in such a way where you are able to meet a need, then meet the need. If God has given you certain gifts to teach, certain gifts to serve, certain gifts to use your hands in ways to, to, to serve people, why are we not a generous people? Because we don't want to count the cost. Because we think it's too costly. 
Now all believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. I just want to make that. Isn't it beautiful when you sit down with someone and you have a joyful time with them, but you also have a sincere time with them? Isn't that fellowship? That's such rich fellowship. I really enjoyed that because we had an honest conversation. We had a sincere conversation. But that takes a generosity on your part, and it's going to cost. It's going to cost you. When we come out of COVID as a church, have we learned that even though we haven't been able to gather, we are welcomed into the loving arms of God. But have have we also grown up as a church to be a generous church to those in our church family and to those in our various communities and, and to those in the community that surround us here in the church building? And do we know it will come at a cost? You see, if we haven't learned that, we haven't spent COVID well. Will you come back asking the question, how can I serve? What can I do? Previous, if, can you, will you come back and say, you know, I don't know if I'm saved. Talk to me about repentance. I haven't been baptized. I need to be baptized. I need to celebrate. I need to speak of the. I need to obey God. As a believer, I need to be baptized. And I need to be generous with those around me. And I know it will cost, but God, use my gifts so that the church, the gates of hell, have not prevailed. But God's people will rise up. And why is this so important? Because of the last verse, and we end with this, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Here is a big misconception of what's taken place in COVID. That because we haven't been able to gather then somehow the world's missed out on a witness. Somehow the gospel has been hindered. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The gospel has not been hindered. The church has not been shut down. We read that the church began to gather, but it wasn't just that they heard the teaching and prayer. They, they observed that there was this teaching. They observed this fellowship, this breaking of bread, this prayer. But they also observed this generosity of this costly ministry of believers. They loved one another. They texted one another. They emailed one another. They, they, they went to one another and said, how can I love you? How can I serve you just as Christ has loved me and served me? Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved because they were generous people who counted the cost to love and to journey with the broken and to journey with those who may be difficult and to journey knowing that it will cost us loving others in very difficult moments. Will you return from COVID having missed the gathering, but having learned that the gathering, ha- the, the not being able to gather has not limited the gospel because the expression of the spread of the gospel happens in so many ways. But also coming back to be able to say, God, I've been negligent. 
I have not devoted myself to these things. Give me grace to devote myself in community for unity. And God, I have not been generous. And it has been my story. And I've asked the church what they can do for me instead of asking, what can I do for God's people? And if we come out of COVID that way, praise God, never to minimize the struggles, but praise God that we have learned because maybe we were a church that was limping along. Maybe we were a lethargic church. Maybe we were sleeping. Maybe we weren't awake. Maybe it was words and maybe God says, I'm tired of the sacrifices. What's going on in your heart? And what's going on in our hearts by God's grace is a celebration, celebrated in repentance and baptism, and then celebrated in unity among community as we are generous people counting the cost for the spread of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. And we pray this for those not saved. Lord, may they hear the good news, the bad news, but that the good news wins. Jesus welcomes them. For those who struggle with assurance, God, bring them to experience your Holy Spirit love once again. Through Christ, loved by Father, a gracious Father. And Father, teach us through these COVID days. We have missed gathering, but we have learned that maybe when we gathered, we needed to learn some things. We needed to learn to be generous again instead of being petty and hoarding. And we needed to have learned that generosity is costly. And we haven't counted the cost. So grow us. Because as you grow us, we desire souls to be saved. To be added to the number every day. And Lord, you are able to do that. Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening. May God bless. And if you're able to join us next week, we look forward to seeing you.